Lord, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. And we just, as we've um, just read, uh, we pray that I'll be able to speak the truth in great love, um, that this church may be uh, built up as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. In preparation for this sermon, I heard a couple of sermons myself, and I ran across this story. So two men are on this bridge, and one's about to jump. The other one runs over to the person and goes, oh, please, don't, don't jump. There's so much to live for. And this other person says, what? For what? Um, and he, he asked, are you, uh, are you uh, religious? He said, yes. The other person said, me too. How about, are you a Christian or a Buddhist? I'm a Christian. Me too. Catholic or Protestant? A Protestant. Me too. Are you an Anglican or a Baptist? A Baptist. Me too. Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? The Baptist Church of God. Me too. The original Baptist Church of God or the Reformed Baptist Church of God? The original Baptist Church of God. Me too. The, 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 oh, sorry. It was Reformed. Reformed Church of God uh, in 1879 or Reformed Baptist Church of God 1915? Reformed Baptist Church of God of 1915. And the other person said, heretic. And he pushed them off the bridge. <laughs> the fact is, as Christians, we have so much that unites us. There's so much that unites the church of Christ around the world. So look to verse 4 of chapter 4. Paul writes, There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to be uh, to, to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The word, the word one occurs seven times in that short three verses. Not only that, God is spoken, God is declared as the Father of all, uh, who is over all, through all, and in all. We're all united as one from disparate corners of the earth. We're all gathered as one, one body in Christ. And this unity cannot be broken. I don't know if you caught this, but in those um, three verses... Uh, Paul speaks of the entire Trinitarian God. Verse 4 mentions the Spirit, doesn't it? And the Lord in verse 5, it, it refers to Lord Jesus Christ. And God is the Father of all. God the Father is mentioned in verse 6. The unity that is given to us, the unity between us, us Chinese, Koreans, Aussies and Kiwis, um, Filipinos, Jews, women, Men educated, not so educated, uh, super rich, not so rich, uh, can no less be broken than we can break the unity that is in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The unity exists and will always exist. The unity is given to us. Remember how uh, Paul ended the prayer last week. Uh, Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. This unity will exist forever and ever, throughout all generations. You see, 
growing as a church, I mean, growing is not an individual uh, exercise, but it is uh, growing is done as a corporate body, as the church. The measure of uh, Christ-likeness, measure of maturity, I'm sorry, measure of maturity, maturity is not Christ-likeness just individually, but as a measure for the whole body, the church. Christian life is a team sport, and your team is the church. Paul wants to see the church grow towards uh, functioning, uh, fu- uh, towards the function uh, as a perfect uh, team, as one united body. But as you look around, um, you'll immediately see that it's actually difficult to keep this unity. Just as, just as uh, the unity is given by the grace of God between a husband and wife uh, in marriage ceremony, but keeping that unity visible is hard work. It requires a lot of work. There's so much that can divide us. It's so hard to keep this unity that Paul uh, says that we have to work at this with all of our might. See verse 3. It says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Keeping the family of Christ one requires a lot of work. And there are many issues that could divide our church potentially. Shatin Church is an Anglican church, but there's so many people from all over, um, all, ki- all sorts of background come. There's so many non-Anglicans here, Baptists, Assembly of God, Methodists, Presbyterian, Lutheran background, Pietists, Catholic even. There's a lot of charismatic um, people here. We all have slightly different views about what it means to be a Christian. And indeed, some are very important. But before we start dividing ourselves along those lines, the scripture commands us to make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through bonds of peace. And this is indeed difficult. It requires growth in our character, in who we are. So, he tells us to grow in maturity in our character. Growing in unity will mean making every effort to be humble. So go back to now, verse 2. Paul says, be completely humble. Be completely humble. Pride is the single most damaging poison to unity. And humility is the single most effective antidote. Pride lurks behind every discord, isn't it? And we're so often divided because our pride is hurt, because our opinion wasn't hurt, because our truth, our view of the truth has to be the the truth for everybody. Because what I think is so important, and it's so easy to, if you think about it, like people who like us, who flatter us. And we conversely find it instinctively difficult to like people who dislike us, who treat us badly. In other words, personal vanity is a key factor in our relationships. So Paul says, be completely humble. For this is a requirement for us to grow as a church. And humility isn't the only ingredient. Here he continues, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Gentleness, 
that controls these hot flashes of anger or meekness that is able to put the other person's right before mine. Patience that does not demand things to happen in my own timing, according to my liking, but is able to suffer through aggravating people, aggravating situations. Bearing with one another in love. And love is that quality that embraces all of the things that have have been mentioned before. It is the other-centeredness, the self-sacrificing, giving up of our rights, forgiving, embracing quality. These are necessary qualities for us to grow as a church. Pride, rashness, impatience, and perhaps even hate exists in this church as it does in many churches around the world. And they creep up on us in our conversations downstairs after the service, as we share our refreshments, or in our interactions with one another during the week. But we have been called to keep this unity. Not to create, but keep this unity. Because this unity has been given to us through the blood of Christ. In the past couple of months, we have seen many people come and go uh, through this church, many visitors. And if there are those of you who are visiting uh, for the first time, second time, it's really, really great to have you here. And I hope you will make Shatin your spiritual home. Um, but there are a few requirements of membership. You must promise to make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through bond and peace. We must make every effort to be humble, gentle, patient, so we could bear one another with great love, so we can testify to the world the extraordinary unity that we have, the extraordinary power of Christ to make us one. And that goes, obviously, to all the members of the church as well. So, make every effort to keep this unity. But secondly, whether you realize it or not, Christ has equipped us, all of us, to grow together as one. You are gifted. You're gifted. And a second point. And I don't speak to, I don't say this to, you know, flatter you. Um, But it is the word of God. So Paul continued in verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The word grace is charis. Uh, That's where we get the word charismatic. That's where we get the the word gift. Um, The the word is translated as gift in Romans 12.6 and 1 Corinthians 12.4, where it talks about the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The reason why Christ comes down to earth, now goes up to fill the heaven, is to give us the Holy Spirit. He went up and he sent us the Holy Spirit. So all of us will have the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. What this means is that we're all gifted to serve one another. That we have all become ministers. Ones who are able to serve one another. Before the Reformation of the 16th century, the Catholic Church taught that priests were these intermediaries between God and the people. 
But the reformers went to the Bible and they, they found that all people were called to be priests. First Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. All became representatives of God. All had direct access to God. But we do now need to take one step further. Not only, not only are we nation of priests, we're also people who are ministers. Every single one of us are ministers, gifted ministers. All are anointed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, not just the chosen few. And this, this anointing isn't a separate filling of the Holy Spirit. If you recall, in Ephesians chapter 1.13, you can back, look back there, uh, look at one thirteen. Paul says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked, with, uh, marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing, of our, uh, guaranteeing our inheritance. If you believe in Christ... You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you have received a divine gift given to you so you can serve. You can play a role in the body of Christ. Some are called to be ordained ministers, but we're all called to be ministers in the church. Well, if you're thinking, what kind of gifts are there? Well, you know a few. And some, I think, tend to focus on the, the, the three most spectacular gifts, like the gift of tongue, or prophecy, or healing. However, some gifts are completely unsensational, like doing acts of mercy, Romans 12.8, gift of administration, 1 Corinthians 12.28. But they're no less essential to the growth of the church, and I don't think the Bible meant to be um, exhaustive in, in listing these gifts either. The New Testament makes uh, these gifts four or five times, and each list differs from one another, which suggests that Paul wasn't trying to be exact or exhaustive. That list isn't, in, uh, the, the, the list isn't complete, and there are other gifts that are listed uh, that aren't listed in the Bible, like making banners for the church, dancing, music, music leading. I think that's a real spiritual gift. Gift of praying, people who can pray with great power. Gift of encouragement, listening, smiling a lot. That's a real gift, isn't it? It hurts to smile a lot. In this text, however, we're all given these gifts. But in this text, however, Paul does point to a few gifts here. He points that some are called to be apostles and prophets. In verse 11, some to be evangelists. Others are called to be pastor-teacher. Well, apostles and prophets were, according to Ephesians 2.20, really foundations of the church. And foundations are just that. It, it, it needs to be laid once. It doesn't need to be laid again. Apostle, apostles and the prophets played a key role. And the apostles of modern days is, is quite different from apostles and prophets that Paul's talking about here. We aren't called to be apostles and prophets. But there are some who are evangelists and also pastor-teacher. Now, I say pastor-slash-teacher because 
there's a definite article in front of every single one of these nouns, the apostle, the prophet, and the, uh, um, the evangelist, and then the uh, pastor and teacher. There's no the, the in front of teacher, which suggests that this is a one person, pastor slash teacher. Um, and I think what Paul's doing is, Paul is singling out a teaching ministry. For it is through the teaching that the church is fed and equipped to serve. So verse 12, Paul, Paul, Paul writes, these, uh, these gifts are given to these people to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Teaching was never the end. Um, service was. God has given each of us these gifts. And the teaching that you receive at each Sunday is not just for you to sit and receive. The end product is service. And if we just are fed in our mind and there is no service... We become what John Stott calls tadpole Christians. Tadpoles are all head, no body, with very little body. Um, a commentator says it like this, Evangelists and pastor teachers are more like the conductors of an orchestra. They don't play all the instruments themselves. They get the whole orchestra playing well. They equip others so that everybody plays their part. The New Testament concept of a pastor is not a pastor, not a person who jealously guards his ministry. And he holds ministry, all of it, all of it in his own hands. They're ones who help and encourage all of God's people to discover their gifts and use them to serve one another and serve the world. Many of you desire for this church to grow, and that is my desire as well. However, I'll tell you a secret. The church cannot grow until you start serving. Until the people of God do the works of service. That was the words of Scripture in verse 12, wasn't it? Pastor teachers should teach to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The church will not be built up in depth, in numbers, unless the people of God with God-given gifts, serve one another and serve the world. There are people here who actually are just tired of serving because you have uh, been a Sunday school teacher for 15 years of your life and you had to move to a different city to get out of that role and you want to rest a bit. And that's understandable and there is a place for you here. Thank you for coming. You're very, very welcome here. But as uh, my, 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 my uh, previous boss, uh, Hugh Palmer, used to say, you can sleep, you can rest, but you cannot be in a permanent sta- state of comatose. You can rest, but at some point, you need to wake up. You need to roll up your sleeves and start serving. You are graced. You are gifted. God has given you these gifts for the service of one another and the world. You are uniquely gifted. I've been told that a normal person that 
I don't know if this is true, but uses about 10% of our brains. And our, even then, it's remarkable what, um, what that 10% can accomplish. Well, my 10%, not so much, but um, lots of you, um, I think especially women who can multitask, maybe they use about 12%, I don't know. But you can accomplish a lot with 10% of your brain. But imagine what we can do with all of our brain power if we trained ourselves to use all the capacities of our brain. Most churches, like Shatian Church, function with 10 to 15% of the people doing all the work as well. Imagine what we would be, what we could accomplish if we used the gifts God has given all of you, the 100%, if we used all of our diverse gifts for the service of the church and the world. What kind of church that would be? We're all ministers of the church of Christ, and God has equipped each one of us. And I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to teach you these words, to feed you the word of God so that you will be equipped to serve. In a church like this size, it is impossible for me to do all the teaching either. But we have to take initiatives in serving one another to, using, uh, to, to use our gifts so that the church, the body of Christ, may be built up. And we do all of it to grow in maturity. And this is the goal. Next. This is the goal. <laughs> Um, this is a, a picture of Janikin when he was young. I just, Facebook is very dangerous. I'm sorry. It, it, uh, <laughs> so that, that, that lovely looking boy who I think kind of looks like a girl. I'm sorry there. <laughs> that, is the, that, that is the difference, isn't it? The, the maturity. You see the maturity right away. And that is the goal as a church. Did you hear all the reference of maturity here in these texts? There is a verse, in verse 13, uh, the word mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness, full stature of Christ. And Paul in verse 14 talks about growing out of our infancy. And in verse 15, he talks about growing, uh, uh, growing up into the head who is Christ. In verse 16, Paul talks about strengthening of ligaments and growing in love. All this is about growing in maturity in faith, being united in faith and knowledge, and building itself up in love. But maturity, to be sure, is not the same thing as size. Don't be impressed with the glyphs of big churches. And certainly, don't just pray that the Shatin church will grow in size. Big churches might be doing something great, and that's why they might be big. That's, God has blessed many big churches because they do things right. However, size is not necessarily a sign of maturity. There could be a lot of things wrong with big churches as well. Um, signs of maturity. Some of it we have seen already. Character, gentleness, humility, patience, love. Verse 2 and 3. Service. Everyone serving, in verse 12, that's a sign of maturity. Sound teaching and therefore unity in faith and in knowledge, that's also an indication of maturity. And the final sign of maturity, in verse 15, is living in the truth and love. So in verse 15, Paul writes, Instead, speaking the truth in love, 
we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. When we often speak about speaking the truth in love, we talk about not lying or speaking, just telling what, 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 what's true in humility and in gentleness. Well, that is part of what Paul is saying, but the truth here is, I think, a bit more specific than that. So, in verse 15, Paul talked about every wind of teaching that comes from cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. It's in that context, Paul says in verse 16, speak the truth in love. This truth isn't, it's the truth of Jesus Christ. It's the truth of Scripture. It's the truth that comes from God. Speak that truth. Teach one another that truth in love. What I'm doing, I hope, teaching truth, speaking the truth in love is what Paul is talking about. And we need to know that we, everything that we teach one another is founded on Scripture, doesn't it? Because if you think that what I'm speaking comes from me, from my mind, from the cunning and craftiness of me, then you will be hurt. We need to know this speaking in truth, in love, uh, speaking the truth in love is much easier and it can be done. It can only be done when we, when, when, when what we speak and what we, uh, what we teach one another is founded in the Word of God. And we know that as we teach these things one another, this comes from God and not from ourselves, not from our opinions. So we need to relay God's truth and speak that truth into the lives of one another. But also, it's a good thing to realize that this, there's no reference actually in Greek about speaking the truth. There's no reference to speaking. The, the verb here literally is truthing in love. Truthing in love. And truthing must include notion of maintaining, living, and doing the truth. And don't think that teaching happens through the pulpit only. Don't think that teaching happens through verbal communications only. It happens in all sorts of settings. When we meet in our small groups, when we, in our conversations after the service, in the dinner parties over, um, when, we, when we invite people over, through our interactions with one another, even in our workplaces, even the way that we carry one another, carry, carry uh, ourselves, even in our attitudes towards one another, it includes verbal teaching, but it's much more than that. It's bigger than that. It is by these small conversations, these embodiment of truth, we're joined together, we're supported, and we're grown, and we're built up. But just to insist on the truth, without love, that also can be very cruel. We shouldn't swing all the way to the other spectrum and insist only in in speaking just the truth. We have to embody love as well. For love, love, I think love without, truth without love can, can be cruel, but just as love without the truth can just seem, it's empty and it becomes flattery. We must hold both together. We must teach Christ truth, the biblical truth, to one another in great love so that we won't be tossed by every wind of false teaching.
Some churches are tadpoles, all head, little body. Some churches are like, I think, Kentucky Fried Chicken chickens. All body, steroid-fed chicken with all body with very little head. Little knowledge of the faith in Jesus. Some churches are like Tin Men. He looks okay from the outside, but is missing heart, character, and love. We need all of it. And complacency as a church is not an option. It's not worthy of our calling. It's not worthy of the price that Christ paid to make us one. It's growing in character, service, faith, and knowledge, embodying the truth, and in love. It's all difficult things, but growth, if you remember in your teenage days, growth comes with pain. But remember how Paul started the passage in verse 1, as a prisoner of the Lord. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner of the Lord, Paul thought it was worth it. And as a church, we must think this calling is worth it. Worth the pain of doing all these difficult things. Christ has given us this unity. Let's try to live it out in our lives. Amen.